Chapter Fifteen of People Like That. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. People Like That by Kate Langley Bosher. Chapter Fifteen. The girl downstairs, the girl named Lily Pierce, was taken on the back porch this morning and for the first time Mrs. Mundy left me alone with her. When the snow's gone and the sun shines, the cot can be rolled out, I told the doctor. Mrs. Mundy tucked the covering closely around the shrinking figure. But chill and dampness ain't friends to feeble folks, and there's plenty of fresh air without going outdoors. It's hard to make even smart folks like doctors get more in one idea at a time in their heads, and in remembering benefits they forget dangers. Are you ready, child, for a whiff of sunshine? It's come at last, the sun has. The girl nodded indifferently. But as the cot was pushed into the porch, I saw her lips quiver, saw her teeth bitten into them to hide their quivering, and I nodded to Mrs. Mundy to go inside, and I, too, left her for a moment, and went down the steps to the little garden being made ready for the coming of spring. Around the high fence, vines had been planted, a trellis or two put against the porch for roses and clematis, and close to the gate an apple-tree, twisted and gnarled, gave promise of blossoms, if not of fruit. Already I loved the garden which was to be. Violets are to be here, and tulips there, I said, under my breath, and wondered if Lily were herself again, if I could not go back. A row of snowdrops and bleeding hearts would look lovely there, Something green and growing in a sheltered corner near the house caught my eye, and stooping, I pulled the little blossom and went up the steps to Lily's cot and gave it to her. Eagerly she held out her hands, and the silence of days was broken. The bitterness that had filled her eyes, the scorn that had drawn her thin lips into forbidding curves, the mask of control which had exhausted her strength, yielded at the sight of a little brown and yellow flower, and with a cry she kissed it, pressed it to her face. It used to grow, a long bed of it, close to the kitchen wall where it was warm, and where it bloomed before anything else. The words came stumblingly. Mother loved it best of all her flowers. She had all sorts in her garden. With a quick turn of her head she looked at me, in her face horror, in her eyes tumultuous pain, then threw the flower from her with a wild movement, as if her touch had blighted it. "'Why don't you let me die?' she cried. "'Oh, why don't you let me die?' I drew a chair close to the cot and sat down by it. For a while I said nothing. Things long locked within her, long held back, were struggling for utterance. In the days she had been with us, her silence had been unbroken, but gradually something bitter and rebellious had died out of her face and into it had come a haunted, hunted look, and yet she would not talk. Until she was ready to speak, we knew it was best to say nothing to her of days that were past, or of those that were to come. Mrs. Mundy had known her before she came to Scarborough Square. In a ward of one of the city's hospitals where her baby was born, she had found her alone, deserted, and waiting her time. Two days after its birth the baby died. When she left the hospital, there was nowhere for her to go. 
she had lived in a city but a short time and knew little of its life and yet she must work mrs mundy got a room for her then a place in a store and she did well kept to herself but somebody who knew her story saw her told the proprietor and he turned her off he couldn't keep girls like that he said it would injure his business later she got in an office she had learned at night to do typewriting and there one of the men was kind to her began to give her a little pleasure every now and then she was young it was dreary where she lived and she craved a bit of brightness one night he took her to what she found was oh worse than where she has since lived for it pretended to be respectable she was terribly afraid of men it wasn't put on it was real i know pretence when i see it mrs mundy who was telling me of the girl changed her position and fixed the screen so that the flames from the fire should not burn her face ever since the father of the child had deserted her she had believed all men were wicked but this man had been so friendly so kindly he thought he was different from the others when she found where she was she was crazy with fear and anger and made a scene before she left the next morning when she went to work she was told her services were no longer needed and told in a way that made her understand she was not fit to work in the room with other girls the man who had charge of the room was a man she had thought a friend he's got his job still the ticking of the clock on the mantel alone broke the stillness of the room as mrs mundy stopped i tried to say something but words would not come for years i have heard the stories of these poor creatures mrs mundy's even tones steadied somewhat the protesting tumult in my heart for years i have known the awful side of the life they lead i didn't have money or learning or influence or the chance to make good people understand even if they had been willing to hear what i could tell but i could help one of them every now and then there are few of them who start out deliberate to live wrong when they take it up regular it's most always because they are like dogs at bay there's nothing else to do what became of lily when she lost her place i got up from the sofa and came closer to the fire my teeth were chattering she lost her soul she went in a factory but the air made her sick and after three faints they turned her off it interrupted the work and made the girls lose time running to her and so she had to go after a while i was away at the time the woman she lived with turned her out she owed room rent a good deal of it and she needed food and clothes and there was no money with which to buy them it got her crazy the thought that because she had done wrong she was but a rag to be kicked from place to place with only the gutter to land in at last and well she landed but she isn't all bad i used to feel about girls like her just as most good people still feel but i've come to see there's many of them who are more sinned against than sinning the men who make and keep them what they are go free and are let alone couldn't she have gone home you said she was from the country wouldn't they let her come back home mrs mundy shook her head her own mother was dead and her stepmother wouldn't let her come she had young children of her own last month she tried to end it all she won't be here much longer the doctor says she'll hardly live 6 months if we can get her in the city home the city home the memory of what i had seen there came over me protestingly the girl had lived in hell 
she need not die in it. Perhaps she can be sent somewhere in the country, I said after a while. Mr. Card might know of someone who will take her. Certainly she can stay here until, until he knows what is best to do. Mrs. Mundy got up. For a moment she looked at me, started to say something, then went out of the room. She was crying. I wonder if I said anything I shouldn't. Tell me of your mother's garden. I picked up the tiny flower and put it on Lily's cot, where its fragrance waked faint stirrings of other days. I've always wanted a garden like my grandmother Heath used to have. I remember it very well, though I was only nine when she died. There were cherry trees and fig trees in it, and a big arbor covered with scuppernong grapevines, and wonderful strawberries in one corner. All of her flowers were the old-fashioned kind. There was a beautiful yellow rose that grew all over the fence which separated the flowers from the vegetables, and close to the wood-house was a big moss-rose bush. There were microphylla roses, too. I loved them best, and jacqueminots, and tea-roses, and... Did she have Princess Feather in hers, and Candy Tuft, and Sweet Williams? Lily turned over on her side, her hand under her cheek, and in her eyes a quick, eager glow. In Mother's garden were all sorts of old-fashioned flowers also. We lived two miles from town, and Father sold vegetables and chickens to the marketmen, who sold them to their customers. But he never had as good luck with his vegetables as Mother had with her flowers. She loved them so. There was a big mock orange bush right by the well. Did you ever shut your eyes and see things again just as they were a long time ago? If I were blindfolded and my hands tied behind me, I could find just where every flower used to grow in Mother's garden, if I could go in it again. Like a flood overleaping the barrier that held it back, the words came eagerly. To keep her from talking would do more harm than to let her talk. The fever in her soul was greater more consuming, than that in her body. I did not try to stop her. I don't remember where each thing was in Grandmother's garden. I moved my chair a little closer to her cot. But I remember the gooseberry bushes were just behind a long bed of lilies of the valley. It seemed so queer they should be together. Lilies of the valley grow everywhere. Mother's bed got bigger every year. There was a large circle of them around a mound in the middle of our garden and they were fringed with violets. One February our minister's wife died. They didn't have any flowers, and it seemed so dreadful not to have any that I went into the garden to see if I couldn't find something. The garden was covered with snow, but the week before had been warm, and, going to one of the beds, I brushed the snow away and found a lot of white violets. They were blooming under the snow. I pulled them and took them to the minister, and he put them in her hands. They used to put flowers in people's hands when they were dead. I don't know whether they do it now or not. Sometimes it is done. I took up the sewing on my lap and made a few stitches. Tell me some more of your mother's garden. Did she have winter pinks and bachelor's buttons and snapdragons and hollyhocks in it? I used to hate grandmother's hollyhocks. They were so haughty. We did not have any, but we had bridal wreath and spirea and a big pomegranate bush. There were two large oleanders in tubs at the foot of the front steps. One was mine, the other was my sister's. My sister is married now and lives out west. She has two children. A bird on the bough of the apple tree began to twitter. For a moment Lily listened. 
Then again she looked at me in her eyes that which I had noticed several times before, a look of torturing fear and pain and shame. Do, her voice was low, do you know about me? Yes, I know about you. You know? And, and still you talk to me? I don't understand. Why did you come down here? You don't belong in Scarborough Square. Why not? I have no one who needs me. I held my bit of sewing off, looked at it carefully. Other women have their homes, their husbands and children, or their families, or duties or obligations of some sort, which they cannot leave, even if they wanted to know, to understand better how they might. I leaned forward. I think you can help me, Lily, help me very much. Help you? Half lifting herself up, Lily stared at me as if not understanding. Then the flush in her face deepened. I help anybody? If I only could! If I only could! I'm sure you can. I picked up the flower, which again had fallen. The doctor says you can go in the country soon, but before you go... I hope I won't live long enough to go anywhere, but before I go away for good, if I could tell you what you could tell to others, and make them understand how different it is from what they think, make them know the awfulness, awfulness. She turned her head away, buried it in her arms, her body shaking in convulsive sobs. The bird on the apple tree had stopped its singing, and the sun was no longer shining. In the hall, I heard Mrs. Mundy go to the door, heard it open. Then heavier footsteps came toward us. I looked around. Selwyn was standing in the doorway. End of chapter 15